Yea, it is an angry and unforgiving economy. Cut spending to only the bare essentials. Water and bread and margaritas. Yay. Self-destruct, count it down. One step farther, you're getting now to perfect. But is it worth it? I'm really excited to have my guest Randy Wall on the program today. Randy is president of Mark Research, a research firm that's really well known. It's been around for over 50 years. Randy is the president of the organization and guides some of the leading brands in the world on their marketing decisions. He has degrees from University of Texas at Arlington and the University of Texas at Austin. That makes him both a Longhorn and a Maverick. Randy, welcome to the show. Thanks, Steve. I appreciate it. It's great to be here. I'm really excited to have you on. Uh, well, as you may know, when I have guests on the show, I like to get to know them a little bit better by playing a game I call The Lightning Round. The Lightning Round! I am so good at lightning rounds! I majored in lightning rounds. Are you ready for The Lightning Round, Randy? Sure. Go ahead. Let's do it. What is your hometown? My hometown is Middletown, Pennsylvania. Oh, my goodness. I had no idea. I grew up in Shippensburg, Pennsylvania, just down the road. Yeah. Uh, my dad lived in Middletown for many years. I'd always fly in and out of the Middletown airport. So, uh, That's right. wow, small, small world. If you were not in the research and insights business, what would you be doing? Um, I would probably be in computer design. I started out in college as a electronic systems and devices engineer, but at that age, I didn't want to work that hard. So, a couple different degrees out and came out of there with a degree in finance and international business. What book or podcast would you recommend these days? Uh, you know, I really like Mike Rowe's podcast. Uh, you know, Mike Rowe, the guy from Dirty Jobs. Right, uh, right. Uh, he has, uh, I, think, I think it's called As I Heard It. There's a lot of little short anecdotal stories with good life lessons. Actually, we recently took a road trip with my son just to go out to the country and listen to uh, his book uh, like that. It was really, really interesting. What TV show or movie would you consider your number one guilty pleasure? Oh, man. You know, actually, probably, you know, if I just want to relax and, and watch a movie, um, probably one of my favorite movies, although I don't admit this, is Pitch Perfect. Uh, the one with uh, Anna Kendrick and Rebel Wilson. Uh, for whatever reason, I really enjoy that movie. And I've probably watched it, you know, 30, 40 times. A lot of times, whenever I'm traveling, well, I used to travel on planes all the time. It would be one of my on the way back home after a long trip, the things to watch and just kind of chill. Sounds like a great guilty pleasure. What is your favorite website or app that many people haven't heard of? Uh, you know, in my spare time, people have heard of this one. It's not a lot of people use it, but I do. My mother-in-law is in the genealogy and got me into it on my side of the family. So I do a lot of things on ancestry and actually connected to um, some like long lost cousins that I remember meeting when I was a kid many years ago. And just talking about different family stuff, which has been really interesting. What was the last thing you bought online? Uh, the last thing I bought online was a set of dog bowls that I could raise. Yeah, so they're from puppy to dog. So I have a older shepherd collie mix that she's having a hard time bending down for a bowl. So I got a raised set of bowls so she didn't have to bend down as much. What is the most unusual thing you bought online? Keep it safe for work, please. <laughs> um. I, you know, I'd, probably the oddest thing that I would have said I would have never bought is I bought a squirrel feeder. So since since uh, the pandemic, my wife and I have got 
gotten into watching the wildlife in our backyard and we started feeding birds and then actually got a squirrel feeder to kind of keep them away from the, uh, um, the bird feeders and they're massively entertaining to watch. Oh, maybe I should try that because I used to have bird feeders and I really got rid of them because it was attracting at night raccoons and skunks and all kinds of things. So maybe I ought to just be distracting them, not uh, not fighting the battle. It depends how far you get. I have woods in the back, so I kind of keep them back there. But uh, you know, squirrels, are they're very acrobatic, but they're also little pigs. So they <laughs> very quickly. What brand do you remember fondly from your childhood? Uh, I think, you know, for me, coming from Middletown, Pennsylvania, my, one of my favorite candies to this day is Reese's. Um, and Hershey, well, Hershey's obviously is headquartered in Hershey, Pennsylvania. But you used to always go, whenever we got down to Hershey, go right by the Reese's factory. On a good day, you could smell them cooking the peanut butter and all the good stuff out there. There is a really interesting uh, documentary out now. I think it's on Discovery Channel. Maybe it's Foods That Built America. And they have a whole one about about candy, about Hershey's, about about Reese's and about how, you know, Reese's were started by a guy who who left Hershey's. And uh, it's just it's super interesting. Given everything that's going on in the world today, what brand really gets it? One of the ones that I see doing a nice job there is like Chewy in the animal health space. I meant was doing a nice job as far as reaching out and providing things to their customers. And I see a lot of good activity there when I look online and I'm shopping for my, my dogs and cats. Chewy's a really interesting brand and they've been able to take on Amazon head to head in their category. In a lot of categories, you know, Amazon just dominates and Walmart's a distant number two and anybody else is way behind that. But uh, Chewy really gives Amazon a run for their money if you look at market share. So it's very impressive. Well, thank you very much for playing the lightning round. The lightning round. Lightning round. Lightning round. So let's let's get right into it. You know, we're going on a year into the coronavirus situation. Hopefully the uh, the end is coming up in sight. And there have been a lot of obvious changes in consumer behavior. You know, economic anxiety is up. People are saving more. Zoom and e-commerce are up and bars and restaurants are down. But, you know, through your lens, what do you think are some of the most impactful or overlooked or interesting ways that consumer lives are changing? Um, yeah, as we chatted over the, over the course of time here, I mean, it, you know, we do a lot of work in well, different healthcare spaces. We work across a lot of different co- categories, but one of the ones that we've done a, a fair amount of research and research on is, you know, trying to put some thought leadership in is looking at human healthcare and also animal healthcare um, and two different, different things somewhat related in terms of, you know, the, what you're trying to accomplish at the end. Uh, I would say, you know, obviously that the impact of this on, you know, healthcare companies, uh, healthcare providers, and the end user, the patients and caregivers that are, are caring for patients in the real world has been enormous. Um, you know, coming into this, you know, I think telehealth, tele- telemedicine, you know, based on the, the information we had, you know, coming out of 2019, about maybe, you know, 9%, 10% of the people had ever used those things or were interested in using it. it was you know, They were pretty early in their adoption cycle, right? Mm-hmm. And I was just talking to someone this morning about, you know, some of the ongoing research we're doing there. And as of the fall, more than, you know, half the people had had a, you know, these are people that are under care or talking to doctors, so typically have health insurance or sort of condition, but more than half of them, I think it's pushing 55 to 60% almost, uh, were using uh, telehealth, had gotten used to it. Uh, more than half of those people said that, you know, even when this is over, 
that would be their preferred method of interacting. And, you know, I mean, the interesting thing there is, you know, you know how technology goes. We work over the years in a lot of technology spaces around computers, you know, mobile and all those things. And it's kind of a slow build. And what Corona provided was, you know, a is a is an abrupt need to shift and adapt and change. And you saw people doing that, you know, as you mentioned, like with Zoom, people going to Zoom, and, you know, we of course went to work from home and that happened overnight, but these people, you know, most people are a couple of your technology savvy, um, had the equipment and those kind of things. Um, but you really did see a huge uptick in telemedicine, uh, being able to do things remotely, even having Zoom calls with your, your, your physicians and, and a lot of good work in those industries on the human health side, particularly where you saw, saw a lot of app development, uh, different innovations around, you know, diagnostics and those kind of things uh, at a distance. So how do you kind of get all the things that normally you'd sit in your doctor's office and they'd figure out, uh, you know, in person, how can you do that remote using technology, whether it's a different device, uh, you know, or, you know, you, you taking something, you know, connecting something to yourself and your doctor like an apple watch or whatever and giving them their your vital statistics and and kind of linking all those things up and that's all taking kind of a leap forward which 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 is good uh, especially if you know the opportunity i think for healthcare companies here in light of that is that you have the adoption but it also is you know you, there's an opportunity here if you can figure out how to close a technology gap to better serve some underserved populations whether that's you know economically or socially disadvantaged people or even among the elderly, you know, you have some, you know, people that are less mobile um, in, in the, you know, like the Medicare Medicaid space that some are technically savvy and some are not. But if you could kind of close that gap and provide that technology somehow, uh, it, it's a lot easier and efficient for them to get care when they need care because uh, you, know, you have transportation issues that it's hard for a lot of people to overcome at a certain point. And all those things, which you know, through the internet and appropriate use of of tech, you can you can you get around a lot of those barriers. Well, that's a huge leap from nine percent of the population had used telemedicine to fifty-five to sixty percent. You know, I've 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 seen a lot of numbers about e-commerce and how much that's grown. And some people say, well, you know, it was like a, a two-year leap ahead in e-commerce growth, and people say it's five years. But I mean, I, I can't imagine how long it would have taken telemedicine to go from 9% to say 55% without a, an event like this. Right. I mean, I, you, if you were being conservative, you're, you're talking to get to that place. You're talking, I would think, you know, a, you know, a decade from now would not have been un, un, unreasonable. I mean, if you want to say five to 10 years, and, and, and it's one of those things that you think e-commerce, well, e-commerce is you or I just getting, saying, okay, well, I'm going to shop online shop this outlet and shop that outlet that's relatively avail available the telehealth you've got to align several different stakeholders there you've got to align you know healthcare companies being able to get the codes in and, and the procedures and the payment for that you've got to have healthcare providers so the doctors and their offices and their practices you know believing that's that's the the, the path forward for them versus come in for an office visit, right? I mean, I, I don't know what your experience is, but you know, usually when I want to talk to a doctor, talking to a doctor on a phone is not as easy. It's not the preferred method. It's like, come in, let me take a look at you. Let's check this out, that kind of thing. And, and I think that's, that's that barrier has been broken down. And then also, you know, I think on the people side of it is being more open now that they have the experience with it. 
I remember, uh, you know, before Corona, I would get things from my health insurance company saying, oh, you know, we now have this new telemedicine service and you can call or you can do that kind of thing. And I just, I had no interest. And it just struck me as, well, this is one more way that, you know, the healthcare system is trying to provide less service and worse service. And now it seems like, oh, well, now they're, they're really providing a benefit. I actually had my uh, very first telemedicine session uh, yesterday. Because uh, since Corona started, my thought was, okay, I'm just not going to the doctor. That's my healthcare plan. I'm not going to the doctor. Uh, but yesterday I had one, and I'm like, wow, this is so, this is so convenient. Uh, you know, I could, I could really see that as kind of the preferred way to to do it. And and like I said, I mean, there there was so much to make happen. I mean, on the on the doctor side and the insurance company side, thinking about HIPAA and consumer acceptance. But you know, it's uh, really been a, a huge amount of change on every one of those dimensions all at once. Uh, obviously, uh, the vaccine is a hot topic. Have you done any research on kind of vaccine acceptance and how many consumers are likely to get it in what kind of time frame? Okay, well, thanks. Yeah, um, we had done some research uh, late last year, just prior to Thanksgiving around this topic, and they're repeating it now that all the states have, have gone out. Um, at that point in time, around 60% of the people said they were interested in getting it. 22% uh, said they were around neutral and about 20, 18, 20%. 18% uh, said that they were against it, that they didn't believe it. Um, and among that 60%, about 40, 45% of it uh, wanted to get it as soon as they could. As soon as they're eligible to get an appointment, they would get it. Um, about another 20% where they would get it within three months. And you know, the rest of them fall into a more than six months or undecided, right? Um, mm -hmm. The interesting thing, if you look at, and, and this is kind of one of the challenge at this time, is that the of the 40% that at that point in time said they weren't going to get it, it really wasn't around, uh, there's a, a small portion like around 15% that said they just don't believe in vaccines and among that group, mm -hmm. around, you know, you know, kind of trust and efficacy, right? Basically, we don't think it'll work or we don't trust that they've done a good job betting this vaccines. Um, so I'll be, it'll be very interesting. I'll send you an update when we get that data on how does that bear out now that we're about two, three months later um, and states have started rolling out and people are kind of seeing it and, you know, what, what is the impact of that nowadays? Yeah, that's that's really interesting. And I guess if it's if it looks like the the hardcore, I'm not going to get the vaccine numbers are kind of around 15 to 20 percent, I guess to get herd immunity, the thinking is we need to get 60 to 70 percent vaccinated. So we might still be able to get to that herd immunity, even right. if there's, you know, a fifth of the population that's just not going to get it. Right. But, yeah, but you're going to have to convert those people that are distrustful or worry about eff efficacy and those kind of things, right? Just because it's a, mm -hmm. you know, it is a, a, re a barrier. So that's about, you know, getting the news out and any kind of evidence and FDA and other sources, you know, internationally as well, you know, can continue to test and, you know, really, um, you know, when you know that you have millions of people that have the vaccine, the data that's available to analyze is, is much more robust than it would be in any, any normal clinical trial, but it's just a matter of getting that, you know, uh, you know, analyzed out there and being credible about it. 
it'll be interesting to see the cross-country comparisons. You know, if we've got 20% here in the U.S., hardcore, not going to get it. Uh, there is kind of in the U.S. sort of a, certainly a segment for whom there's kind of an anti-science, anti-intellectual kind of bent. I wonder if that's going to be stronger here than in other countries. Um, yeah, I don't know. I, I think people uh, that I've stayed, I've seen about some of the other countries, they tend to be more accepting or trusting of the government. I mean, I guess there's always a, a, some level of mistrust there. Mm -hmm. the Americans, uh, you know, value our own opinions, be a little independent, be a little more maverick uh, than, you know, some other, other countries socially. Uh, mm -hmm. Again, I think for the U.S., 60% of the people being interested in looking to, to be vaccinated is, is actually... Uh, you know, I think fairly good for something this novel. Mm -hmm. One of the things we've tried to keep a pulse on just throughout the whole thing along the lines of mental health is people's, you know, level of stress, self-reported level of stress. And there's some who metrics you can use and some other things. Uh, what, what I think is interesting about that, and it goes back to some of the things we were talking about, that all of a sudden you had a, 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 a tectonic shift in people's behavior of what they were allowed to do, which creates a lot of change, creates a lot of stress, right? So you watch, you know, the stress levels at the early COVID to be very high over time as people, you know, kind of dug in and, and got used to it and, you know, kind of got to a, a level of, I guess, in air quotes, normal for them that they were okay with. And, you know, through the summer and fall, like those went down. And what's interesting as you know, vaccines have come out and a lot of the other things and people are talking about opening up and going, doing this and doing that, you started to see those levels come back up again that, you know, so they got to into a place where, you know, the right thing to do is, you know, for a lot of people is well, I'm going to stay home. I'm going to, you know, limit my, my contact and all those things. Now we're kind of taking those, those uh, recommendations out of place and it's creating some uncertainty. That's kind of one of the things we're trying to look at in this next round of, of research of, you know, what is the impact and, you know, to the extent that, you know, you know, your state says, Hey, we're open. What does that mean? to people. And I think it's going to be a, a you know, you know, bipolar bifurcated response that you're going to have a lot of people, some, you know, a fair chunk of people that are going to be, this is great. And a fair chunk of people that said, well, I'm going to go back to where I was six months ago because I don't know what's going to happen. Yeah. It'll be interesting to see how, like you said, I mean, you know, stress levels are a big part of it. I mean, there's, there's economic stress, there's the isolation stress and how does that play off against the, you know, the, the uncertainty and the mistrust. Uh, it'll be interesting to see how those dynamics play out. Uh, well, we've talked a lot about, about people health. I know you also do a lot of research on animal health. Uh, you know, I think that household pets were one of the big winners of the corona economy. They get to stay home all day. They get a lot of attention from their, uh, from their people. They uh, get to make uh, uh, entertaining appearances on Zoom calls. Uh, and uh, certainly we know that, you know, spending on like treats and toys are, are up. Uh, what kind of trends are you seeing around uh, around household pets? I mean, you know, I think it's people being home. And you also saw a, a, a huge uptick in adoption and fostering. Um, just look, talking to some leaders in the industry, the health, animal health industry, that, you know, I think a lot of the shelters actually kind of shut down. They basically either adopted out animals um, or, uh, you know, fostered them with, foster care, so they actually didn't have any animals in, as many animals in shelters. There was much more, um, you know, focused on kind of getting them into individual households where they be cared for. Uh, so you had a lot of people getting you the COVID puppies or the COVID kitties. Uh, interesting thing, and it's a little bit of an exposition, you know, for obvious reasons that, uh, that they, 
the healthcare for like animals that, you know, under vets care, like owners take them to vets, um, that the, you see compliance and their behaviors and what they're doing there, that, that they're better, right? So if you get an animal that needed to get heartworm month medicine monthly, you look at the numbers and those things and they don't get them monthly. If you look at even what the, the owners say, um, but also you look at the industry sales data for the number of animals that are prescribed, they're not getting 12 a year. They might get seven, eight or so. Mm. But you have much better compliance on that. Uh, you know, whereas on, what's interesting on the human health side is for obvious reasons, you know, as COVID put more stress on the healthcare system, a lot of, you know, elective or deferrable medical care got kind of pushed down the road or people, you know, like we we're saying, well, I'm just going to avoid going to a doctor if I don't absolutely have to. So it became less careful, even for people that have, you know, in good insurance and can get access to it. Uh, just, you know, elective surgeries, um, those kind of things that were life-threatening were not really, you know, triage to be a priority at the time. Uh, whereas with, with some of the, you know, that research we've seen that, you know, some of the, you know, the, the types of office visits and dropping off pets and, and them going to a thing where people didn't actually have to come in with the pet. They could be, you know, they come get them out of the car, go treat them, bring them back to it. Um, and, and people had directly time to do it. They weren't driving to the office. They could take, you know, half an hour out in the middle of the day and go to the vet and, and get that all to happen that you saw much better care there. Now, the concern, you know, across that industry then is okay, what happens when things go back to normal? Are we going to fall back to normal? Is normal what normal used to be? Is it a new normal? Uh, and that that really goes down to whether we believe, you know, if you know, you know April first or whatever day you want to say everything's fine, they ring the bell, you know, COVID's not a problem. You know, do people really go back into the office full time all the time? You know, just talking to the companies that we know, and even for our own company, uh, it's going to be much more of a hybrid approach at that point. So I think I think some of that behavior will stick there and stay there that you're going to see. Kind of better clients, better um, you know, you know more more interest in in, in taking care of them. Uh, but you also you know, as far as toys and some of the additional things, you didn't have as much competing for the financial resources. Um, you also saw the shift in consumer spending towards a lot of in-home goods like you know rice steamers, cooking equipment, um, decorations, all those kind of things because. You know, going out to restaurants or traveling or going to movies or, or, or amusement parks wasn't competing for that money. So, so, so what is the shift that will happen when that goes back the other way? There's certainly be some, but I don't think it's going back to where it was before. I mean, just for us, it's like, you know, we came into last year and said, well, if we hire people, we want them to be in our offices. And then coming through the year and into this year, we're hiring people and it doesn't really matter where they are. And it's, it's interesting because you, know, you have a much bigger talent pool. Um, there's also an expectation, I think, in the workforce that's, that this will continue. Now that we've done this and it's kind of gone okay, uh, that, you know, the expectation is we're going to continue to do that at some level of, uh, you know, uh, you know, like some level of, you know, some work from home and those kind of things and certainly can bring people in from time to time. But, you know, I don't think that'll go back to the way it was. 
Yeah, that's really interesting. You know, I do think, you know, you know, work from home and especially hybrid kind of work situations are going to become uh, more of the norm. And it'll be interesting to see how it plays out in terms of just kind of family life and uh, and pet care. Uh, it's it's interesting. I'd also heard more anecdotally from vets that they were getting, uh, you know, more more visits, people bringing their pets in more often, uh, often around kind of more minor kinds of symptoms, the kinds of things that, you know, if, if you weren't home all day with your pet, you wouldn't have noticed that they had that cough or that that minor limp. Um, and it's, uh, yeah, it's just really interesting that, that compliance is up uh, around medications. Um, and it'll be interesting to see how much that sticks around as people start going back to work at least a little bit more. Now, I know you also, so we've been talking about household pets. I know you also do some research on what you might think of as, as B2B animal health. So studying things like uh, uh, farmers and ranchers who take care of cattle herds. Things are really important when we think about, about the supply chain. What kind of trends do you see there? Uh, you, I mean, that, that side got hit much harder, I think, um, than certainly than the other side, just because you know, when you think, when you bring up the issue about supply chain, and that was really the key there is that, um, you know, so if you're in, the, in the, the food animal or the dairy or whatever you are on that side of the business, um, the supply chain of, you know, moving those animals into the, into market uh, was greatly disrupted. And, and it, you know, you wound up in a, there were a lot of producers and, and they had to make, you know, hard choices of what to do with the animals of, as far as, carrying costs of keeping them and not being able to get them, you know, as meatpacking and other processing declined, you know, you can't bring those animals to market, but the cost of carrying them when the source of income there to pay for them is gone, it becomes big. And you had a lot of unfortunate uh, decisions that had to be made, hard decisions about, you know, having to euthanize animals and or find alternatives to, to taking care of them. And I think that, that's a, there's a downstream impact there and that there's not going to be as much supply, uh, I think, in the near term as there would have been just because they've been more cautious in terms of bringing animals on or trying, you know, trying to manage their stock to a level to which they can actually, you know, take to market. Um, so I, would, I think I've seen a couple of articles just recently about the prices of, you know, meat, poultry and all those things all going up. Um, did see some, uh, you know, so uptick in, you think about like, uh, you know, mail order seafood and mail order beef, that, those things, it's, that's more boutique. Excellent. Well, uh, you've, you've been really generous with your time. I really appreciate it. I've got just a couple more quick questions for you. The first one we've talked about a little bit, uh, you know, a lot of people are wondering, well, what kind of consumer trends are going to snap back after Corona versus what are going to be more lasting changes? Uh, what kind of trends have you seen there? I mean, if you look at the pent-up demand, I think the things that will come back the quickest as they open up, assuming there's no rebound effect for, for COVID, are the things that people are missing the most, the social things like dining out with friends, movies, travel, um, you know, you know, kind of the, the, the social gathering side of it, sports, uh, you know, sports games, going to sports venues and those kind of things. Because those are things that... You know, so, you, so technology made it easier for you to shop on, online and do those other things. And, and so people are kind of okay with a lot of those options. Some people like to go out and shop and do those things. But, you know, as far as, you know, socializing with friends and those things, that's a lot tougher. So I think the in-person things that people were forced out of that they used to enjoy 
are, are you're going to have a pent up demand that's going to come back pretty quickly on those. Um, you know, the thing that's it's a little iffy on, like, if you think about movies for, you know, so basically in your home movie experience versus going to the movie experience, that kind of entertainment, I think that's going to be a mixed bag because of the access. So if the access, if you can get access on HBO Max to first run or Netflix or those things to first run, you know, as soon as you want, you know, what is, what is the thing that's going to get you back into a movie theater? And I, I, I'm not as intimately involved in those areas, but typically, you know, there has to be some impetus to, you know, when you think about adoption and, and all those kind of things uh, and changing people's inertia, uh, there has to be some, some catalyst there, right? I mean, the catalyst for changing everybody's inertia initially was, you know, you know, forced stay at home orders and all those kind of things. Uh, so what is the other side of it? Cause it's not, you know, the governor of our state's not going to issue a, Hey, Randy, you have to go to five movies in the next month and <laughs> you, right? So what is, what is the, the mechanism through you get that motivation and kind of change the, the inertia that I have now to sit, sit at home and watch, you know, stream, stream movies on, online versus going back out to the theater. So what are the aspects about that experience that are attractive that you can, that those, those, those companies can really leverage to get you back out there? That is really interesting. It's like when we talked about telemedicine. I mean, there were all these factors, all these catalysts, like you said, that all hit at once that caused everybody from patients to doctors to the insurance companies. Okay, we got to change right now. And that's not going to happen on, on the back end. It's going to be a much more of a kind of loose, ambiguous, is this safe? Is this not safe? There, there's not going to be that same catalyst. So I guess there's going to be a much more, you know, gradual getting back to normal compared to what we saw when when corona first hit right really interesting observation well my final question that i ask of all my guests what one piece of advice personal or professional you have for helping people survive and thrive at this time uh you know marilyn i had my ceo and i had a lot of conversations about this i mean i think the toughest thing we found in our business um is is trying to maintain some sense of balance uh, and I know that that sounds cliche, but it becomes, you know, it, there's no logical stopping points in my in our days anymore, right? So you can start early. You know, I used to, you know, get up at, you know, you know, between five and six, go for a walk with my wife, then come home, get ready, drive into the office, had a half hour in the car, and so try to get there anytime between seven thirty and eight, and then you know, toward the end of the day, I try to finish up by X time to get home, and and those kind of those boundaries sort of disappeared and it took a while to get our feet under us. And I think it is in, 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 you know, not much of a process guy, but I did had, had gone to a thing where, you know, one, I set very specific goals. I want to accomplish three things today. And here's some other things I, I want to get done, but I want to accomplish three things, but it's also, you know, for me, it was putting in very specific reminders and, 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 you know, at each point in time to say, hey, get up, go walk around, go step outside, look at it, you know, finish working by this time, um, you know, go make dinner if you need to finish something up. But it, it's kind of having discipline around, you know, framing off my day a little more uh, than I had been in the past because that was done for me. It was a natural act. And I had to basically figure that out in my own new environment. And we had that a lot in, in, within the company. Um, and the only other thing is as long as we're doing the remote stuff, uh, you know, what's been interesting is trying to get people uh, 
and really wanting the people to be on camera. I know that sounds weird, but being on camera so you can actually see them and have some of that face-to-face -face interaction, and it just helps a lot. And, and and for a lot of the client interactions we have, it's pretty much driven. The client's on camera, we're on camera. But in our business, we've been trying to push that as well, just so to maintain some of the camaraderie and some of the you know, kind of you know, personal connection thing that's been going on. I used to travel a lot to go meet with clients and I would always say there's no substitute for an in-person meeting. And I guess now we say there's no substitute for being on camera. It's better than just audio. Well, uh, Randy Wall, president of Mark Research, you've been a, a great guest today. Really interesting observations. I really appreciate your time today. Well, thanks, Steve. It was great. I appreciate you having me. That's it for this week. Please like, subscribe, and share. The best place to find me is on LinkedIn. You can also find me on MySpace, OnlyFans. Send me a fax, or better yet, page me. When I get your page, I'll go out, I'll find a payphone, I'll call you back. To take us out, it's the full version of our theme song, Tourist, by Tess Stevens, the world's most rockin' content strategist. Until next time, my friends, stay safe, stay safe. Yeah.